Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. The mission to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. I'm your host, Jordan Rich, and today you'll be hearing a conversation with Dr. Richard Lee, medical oncologist at Mass General Hospital and a member of the MPCC Medical Advisory Committee. But first, I'd like you to meet Mark Hedstrom, Global Director, Program Commercialization for Movember. That's a worldwide charitable organization dedicated to funding research and building awareness about men's health, specifically prostate and testicular cancer, mental health, and suicide prevention. Mark, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Many people know what Movember is, that's with an M, but for those who don't, give us a brief overview. Sure, and uh, thanks for having me, Jordan. Um, Movember is a foundation uh, focused on men's health, and we actually were founded back in 2003 in Melbourne, Australia. We uh, had a few guys who were having a conversation about uh, men's fashion and why the mustache, at least in, in the younger generations, never made a comeback. So uh, we fast forward from what was just a very simple idea and conversation to uh, 2007 when we moved uh, global. So we moved to the United States, Canada, and Europe. Um, at that time and to where we are today. I'm happy to say that uh, that very small idea that was just amongst a couple of friends has actually blossomed into a global men's health movement. Uh, So we're in 21 countries around the world uh, and we've uh, invested in over 1,200 projects across prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and mental health and suicide prevention for men. These are very important issues. Obviously, we focus on prostate cancer, but the mental health component I know is critical because it's become a worldwide issue, isn't it? We've been doing work in mental health uh, in some of the markets. We started our work here in the United States in uh, 2014, but we actually started investing in mental health services in Australia back in 2006. One of the interesting links between prostate cancer and mental health in general uh, and the conversation we're now seeing is that when you actually talk to men who have experienced prostate cancer through treatment, um, some of the side effects that we all know exist with that treatment actually have a mental health component or a sexual health component. So one of the important things to understand is, you know, while we're treating the physical disease, one of the things that we've also focused on within prostate cancer is also the mental health side of the disease. That's really kind of led us to doing a lot more work in mental health and suicide prevention for men globally. Uh, You can look at the statistics and it's pretty shocking in terms of the number of men that unfortunately take their own lives each year. There's about half a million men globally that do so. In the U.S., there's about 44,000 Americans that take their own lives and four-fifths or 80% of those are men. It's a new dawn for men everywhere, not just growing facial hair, but admitting that they're human. I think that's a beautiful step forward. It is. And, uh, you know, we often refer to the mustache as our our hairy ribbon. Um, So we, uh, you know, very much focus on taking a positive aspect to those types of conversations. So there is a lot of work to be done around destigmatizing, getting men to talk. But in a lot of ways, you know, focusing in on how to get men to talk is really critical to what we're doing. So a lot of work, in, even in prostate cancer and testicular, we focus a lot on the words that we use to engage men and just even down to the activities that men undertake with respect to prostate cancer. How do we do that in the right way that speaks to men? You know, you have to uh, engage men differently, both how you treat them and in the health system in general. Uh, and we've, uh, you know, been working on that um, through the mustache for for over uh, 13 years, and now uh, bringing that learning to uh, treating men uh, within prostate cancer and, and mental health services. There are other activities too. If you go to the website, uh, beyond just the hairy ribbon, as you call it, the mustache, you've got events that people can host. You've got leaderboards. So it's really taking off, uh, thanks to social media, isn't it? 
we were born in social media. Um, so we started our first campaign in 03 and, uh, you know, Facebook and a few of the others didn't start until 2004, but we actually grew up. We're a very micro-financed organization. So a lot of our funds raised over those years has come from small donations to men and women participating. So it's not just about growing a mustache. Uh, we realized that women are just as critical to this conversation and engaging men in their lives. So uh, we asked women to, you know, host events uh, and educate them about uh, what's happening and how to have conversations at those events, as well as, you know, getting physically active for the month of, of, of November, because I think one of the interesting challenges, obviously, prevention is obviously uh, something we focus on as well. So getting someone to move for 30 days uh, is something we engage in as well. And women can do that just as much as men. We're going to be speaking in a moment with Richard Lee. Dr. Lee is a medical oncologist at Mass General Hospital here in the Boston area. And uh, research grants, money is coming from the Prostate Cancer Foundation, which I know is closely linked to the Movember project itself. We're talking about an international movement now to bring research funding and more to places like Boston. So it can only work for men's benefit. That's right. Uh, PCF Prostate Cancer Foundation has been a partner of ours since 2007 when we first moved the campaign here. Uh, and we've been, been investing alongside them in biomedical research and Dana Farber and MGH and uh, Brigham and Women's have been uh, major recipients of that funding. So a lot of our work in biomedical research are in places like Boston. So people can go to Movember.com, that's November with an M at the front, so Movember.com. They can uh, donate to us, they can sign up. It's a year-long campaign, um, but uh, they can host an event at the end of the month and, and engage that way as well. So if they just go over to Movember.com, there's a whole host of resources there. Um, one other website I would mention for this audience is uh, truenorth.org, and it's spelled T-R-U-E-N-T-H.org. Uh, it is an open access website that we've been developing with our friends at Dana-Farber and 15 other institutions in the U.S. and globally on uh, engaging men at the point they're first diagnosed and helping them navigate their prostate cancer journey. So that is also a resource that's readily available and free to men today. I really appreciate you taking the time, Mark, and congratulations to everybody on your team and all the volunteers who are doing such a great job. Great. Thank you so much for the time and I appreciate uh, the conversation. You're listening to Prostate Cancer and You. My next guest is Dr. Richard Lee, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. His clinical practice includes cancers that affect men, prostate, testicular, penile cancer, all of which receive attention and funding from the Movember organization. He's a medical oncologist at Massachusetts General Hospital and a member of the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition Medical Advisory Committee. Well, we just had a great conversation, uh, Dr. Lee, with Mark Hedstrom, Global Director of Program Commercialization for Movember, a terrific organization. And you have some ties to Movember and the research you're doing. Tell us about that. So I'm a general urinary medical oncologist, which means I treat prostate cancer and testicular cancer, among other cancers. And um, those are certainly the the diseases that Movember has targeted for in terms of being men's cancers, in addition to you know men's mental health and uh, just physical health just in general. Um, so I've been involved with um, Movember as a, as a participant, as a MoBro since 2010, so much to my family's chagrin, this is year number nine. But within, in the Boston area, the nice thing about, about having that sort of longevity of being involved has been that our group with um, our group, our team called Bellissimo is a group that's comprised of folks from Mass General Hospital, Brigham Women's Hospital, Dana Farber Cancer Institute, uh, some folks over at Boston Medical Center, and a number of patients and Harvard School of Public Health, uh, BU School of Public Health, and it's been a nice way for us to kind of get together, raise awareness about 
men's health issues, including prostate cancer and testicular cancer. And it's been a way for us to also, you know, be ambassadors for, uh, for you know, men taking care of themselves. Uh, within Movember, um, the, the piece about Movember that's really powerful for us in the prostate cancer uh, research community is that Movember, the, the money that goes to this global uh, fundraiser that uh, lands in Australia winds up getting redistributed back to the U.S. Through, uh, through avenues like the Prostate Cancer Foundation, which is the largest non-governmental funder of uh, prostate cancer research and really been involved at the forefront of prostate cancer research in, in the U.S. And Movember then funds a number of the big uh, initiatives, some of the big what are called challenge awards. That helps us all out because the more money that we have available uh, towards reaching um, in reaching our goals for prostate cancer research, the the better mm. everyone everyone is able to get funded, and that is very important, especially in the modern era where congressional funding of research uh, has shrunk over time. So, November leads to uh, additional prostate cancer funding research, and that helps every one of us. Well, the world is a smaller place. You mentioned Australia, and uh, it's it's so exciting to know that this has come full circle. But Boston is a is a focal point for many of the research dollars, isn't it? That's very true, and um, certainly with our group at the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition, uh, we have the embarrassment of riches of being able to draw from folks from a number of different institutions, including including our friends at. Uh, Beth Israel Deaconess, Brigham Women's, MGH, uh, Tufts, Leahy Clinic, and then the schools of public health, the medical schools. And uh, so Boston is a real, is, is, they say it's a real hub of uh, prostate cancer work uh, and treatment. So it's, um, it's to the great benefit of our patients. Dr. Lee, would you be kind enough to tell the podcast listeners a bit about the work you're doing specifically at MGH? Obviously, you're an oncologist, you see patients, you're a clinician, but you're also working in research. How do you split your time, as they say? Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, how do I split my time? I, I'd love to actually be able to expand the day to 48 hours, then I could really do all the things I would like to do. Uh, but the split comes down to approximately 50-50 um, of patient care versus research, at least on paper. Patient care is mostly prostate cancer, but again, I see the other genitive urinary cancers that includes bladder penile cancer, kidney cancer, in addition to testicular cancer, and prostate cancer. The research that I do has a couple of different facets. Um, One of them is to investigate for biomarkers, so looking at ways of monitoring or even diagnosing the cancer, um, either by looking at proteins or circulating tumor cells, uh, other other ways of tracking the disease beyond just scans and the serum blood test, the PSA. So we're, we're using our tools to try to develop newer biomarkers of the disease. So that's one. And a, a second avenue has to do with looking at some interesting facets of the biology of the cancer and the way that the cancer utilizes sugar and the way that the cancer uses, utilizes glutamine. Uh, and that's work that, I'm, that I do with one of my collaborators um, also at Mass General Hospital. And this is generalizable perhaps to other diseases as well, other cancers as well, kidney, breast, ovarian, uh, and perhaps other cancers. So uh, looking at metabolism and not just studying the metabolism, but using new therapies and introducing new therapies to the clinic to mm-hmm. try to 
bring in uh, new treatment approaches for prostate cancer patients. One of the hallmarks now of the Movember campaign is not just physical health, but mental health. Is that a component of the work being done in the treatment of prostate cancer? Because men are human and they're affected by not only the physical, but the emotional. Can you reflect on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that's been underappreciated in uh, prostate cancer patients has been the impact on uh, on two important uh, features of the brain, one of which is uh, is cognition, which is sort of being able to make calculations and things, and, and with cognition perhaps comes memory. And the second um, is has to do with uh, depression or emotional ability, and the, the challenge uh, that we face with prostate cancer is uh, is is that it's it's a disease primarily of men, or mostly of men. There, um, and what we see is that some is that is that men are are not really interested in talking about their their. Uh, their feelings and, uh, you know, whether or not it's got them down to, about depression, about, you know, how about self-care, are they taking care of themselves? And I think it takes the astute clinicians to really get to know these patients and to try to understand how men are handling things. Um, this is, of course, not unique to prostate cancer. It's seen in other diseases as well. Um, and I think that, you know, in a time when uh, physicians and physicians assistants and nurse practitioners and everyone in the clinical sphere is sort of bogged down with bureaucratic stuff and we're we ourselves are overloaded I think it's it's a challenge to try to make certain that we're asking the important questions for patients about how they're handling the disease that's, and um, that, that's that's a really uh, un, that, that has been an unappreciated aspect of this of this cancer as it is now, I saw a, a number of prostate cancer patients today, still many of them quite reticent to talk about, you know, how they're, how they're handling the diagnosis, how they're, for some of them, how they're handling mortality. Um, and so fortunately for prostate cancer, this is a disease that in general uh, behaves slowly and we're, we establish relationships over a long period of time. And as you get to know patients, it, allow, it affords you the opportunity to ask them those, those questions and make certain that you understand kind of exactly uh, how they're feeling. You may have heard me say something that sounded funny, and that was that prostate cancer is mostly a disease of men. Uh, one might say it should only be a disease in men, but I will just mention that in today's era where there's increasing acceptance of things like uh, of, of transgender identification and, and folks who, who have uh, who've undergone transitions, we certainly should be thinking about prostate cancer in patients who are transgender women as well. And I think that this is, that's a group of patients uh, whose medical care has sometimes lapsed for a whole, whole host of other reasons. And I and others recently wrote a, a review on, uh, trans, on prostate cancer in transgender women. And I think that uh, I would just encourage folks to uh, continue to think about this uh, in continue to think about prostate cancer in other populations as well. It's not just in men; can also be found in transgender women. Just two more things: we've learned that you uh, have a connection to Stand Up to Cancer, the Dream Team. Uh, maybe you can explain what that is and uh, the kind of research avenues that proposes. Sure. So Stand Up to Cancer um, is another um, major funder of cancer research in the U.S. Uh, this is really brought about by by Hollywood uh, looking to make an impact on 
cancer research and cancer right. therapies. Right. And our team was one of the first to receive one of the Stand Up to Cancer uh, awards that looked at circling tumor cells, not just in prostate cancer, but also in other diseases, to look at the technology that was being developed by our group at Mass General Hospital, which is a, which is a consortium of uh, cancer biologists, uh, engineers, and clinicians, and to try to to try to improve upon the ability to detect cancer cells in the circulation as a means of tracking the disease and possibly diagnosing the disease. Stand to Cancer has been a fantastic supporter of, of that initiative as well as a whole host of other projects in other diseases as well. Finally, if you could impart a message to those listening, since you are a member of the Medical Advisory Committee of this organization, here we are, 2018, November, exciting time, an important time for those raising funds and research and, and raising visibility. But where do we stand, and are you hopeful that even more is going to come in the near, very near future? I'm very hopeful, as always, about increasing our understanding of this disease. Um, I think that understanding earlier diagnosis and understanding, you know, modifying uh, behaviors and, and modifying risk is is really um, of great interest to all of us. In addition to treating the much more advanced cancers, which we've been doing all along, point to a couple of uh, interesting things that are that are happening. New technologies that are allowing us perhaps to uh, identify cancers earlier. An interesting study from our colleagues over at the School of Public, Harvard School of Public Health that looked at uh, rigorous exercise and finding that rigorous exercise correlates with uh, a decreased development of prostate cancer, decreased risk of prostate cancer. So, you know, everything that we're learning today has implications for um, the incidence and hopefully the treatment and management of prostate cancer in the near future. So I'm, I remain very hopeful. My thanks to all of our wonderful guests today. I invite you to stay tuned for future podcasts featuring valuable information and resources, the latest in research and treatment, and stories of real people who have challenged prostate cancer and won. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer Renew podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This is Jordan Rich wishing you a fabulous day.